2 Timothy chapter number 3 this evening. I'd like to preach for a few moments on really one verse in particular. We're going to look at the first five verses of this chapter. I believe we can be encouraged and I believe we can be challenged tonight as we hear the Word of God if we'll surrender ourselves to the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter number 3 this evening. Let's begin in verse number 1. Paul writing says this, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Miss Ina mentioned about turning on the news. That's like reading the newspaper right in front of us, isn't it? It's what we see in this world we live in today. Let's look at verse 5 once more, and then we'll pray. The Word of God says, "...having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away." Let's pray together this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank You for the privilege it is to gather in Your house this evening. We thank You for the way that You've helped us today. Lord, we're not done yet. We don't believe You're done yet. For Father, we believe that as we've gathered here tonight, You have a message for us. We pray, Father, that as our hearts are laid open and bare before the perfect and searching Word of God, Lord, You'd do a work in us that would bring You glory and would draw us closer to You. Lord, I don't know the heart condition of those that are gathered here, but You do. So, Father, I pray that You would speak to each of them individually. Lord, that's beyond my power, but it's not beyond Your power. Father, we pray that the Spirit of God would have liberty to move, Lord, and to work. Father, to cause us to shout, but also, Lord, to cause us to shake in conviction of our own sins. Lord, that what we experience tonight might be real, and it might bring glory to Your Son. Father, we love You. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we read 2 Timothy chapter number 3, I believe a little context is due. Let me say, anytime you read the Word of God, a little context is due. We're reading a pastoral epistle of the Apostle Paul. Now, when we talk about a pastoral epistle, what we mean is a letter that Paul wrote that had thoughts of church, things of church, the government of church, the precepts of the local church, and uh, of those that we have, those that were written to a pastor of a local church. Now you say, preacher, what does that have to do with me this evening? Well, look around. Where do you find yourself sitting? If you're saved by the grace of God, part of a New Testament church, then the pastoral epistles have just as much to do with you in your life as they would be any one of us. And as Paul is writing these words, and as the Spirit of God is breathing through his pen, we have a profound truth given to us in verse number 5. The Bible says that there would be some in the church that would have a form of godliness, but they would deny the power thereof. As we read these verses, it's easy, and we sort of mentioned it and hinted at it a moment ago, it's easy to take an outward glance at the world. When we read the catalog of things that people would be. They'd be lovers of their own selves and covetous and boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, 
without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Some of you would be tempted to say, oh yes, preacher, that's the world that's before us. I'd say to you tonight that Paul is not talking about the world when he writes these words. As writing to a New Testament pastor, and he goes on, if you want to read a little bit more of it in your own time, you're welcome to, you'll find that Paul is not speaking about the wickedness of the world, but rather he is speaking about the apathy of the church. And what we have in this passage before us is not a picture of a world that is raging, but it is a picture of a church that is sleeping and a group of people that would claim the name of Jesus Christ but are not living in accordance with the Word of God. And you say, preacher, what does that help me any? Well, I see just by way of introduction, let me give you three things that I see in in these verses before we preach. I believe this speaks to the condition of the church around us. Now, if you don't believe that, just take a moment and look at the professing church. And by the way, there's a big difference between the professing church and the possessing church. There's lots of folks that say they know Christ that don't know Christ. You say, I don't know about that preacher. It's not my place to judge. And listen, I've heard all those arguments. If that makes you feel better about not having an opinion, then more power to you. But the truth is, the spiritual man judges all things. And the fact of the matter is, we are to judge righteous judgment. And when I look at folks that, though they may say, Lord, Lord, they deny Him with their works. I look at a church and I see a lot... You know what the main problem is? You forgive me. I was preaching to new folks this morning. I had to be on my best behavior so I can preach to you all tonight. You know what the problem is? Most churches... And you say, is this true of our church? Well, I don't know. Because I I can't possibly know for sure. I don't know your heart any more than you know my heart. But I think a lot of the problem with churches today is they're chock full of lost people. Folks that just come in, they put their name down on a piece of paper and they sign up to uh, be notified when business is taking place and when uh, when the uh, food is spread before them. But they don't have any more knowledge of the true God than anyone uh, that is lost in the darkness of paganism and hedonism. The truth of the matter is we've got a lot of folks that are unregenerated. Uh, Christ said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they know me. In other words, if you're saved by the grace of God, you're going to hear the Word of God. Amen? And I don't just mean you're going to hear it, you're going to receive it. I see in this passage a picture of the condition of the church in these last days. But I see a word that speaks to the comfort of the church. And you say, wait a minute, preacher, are you telling me that with all those terrible things that Paul says the church is going to become, that that's supposed to comfort us? Well, notice what he says in verse 1. He says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. In other words, when I look around, and I was telling a preacher just yesterday, we was talking on the phone, and I said, Brother, let me tell you something. If you're not careful, uh, you'll have the world and liberal Christianity and uh, the social left, they'll have you convinced that you're crazy. Isn't that true? Turn on the news sometimes. Man, it seems like everybody gets it but us Christians. It seems like everybody understands but us. No, let me tell you something. The truth of the matter is, it's always been a small group that knew the truth. It's always, but there's, uh, the majority's always rejected the Word of God and the things of God. And they'll have you convinced that you're crazy when that's not the truth. fact is, when I look around at the church in the condition it is, it gives me comfort because I know Jesus is coming soon. <laughs> I know the Lord's return is upon us. I look around at the world and I say this, it cannot get much worse before God's judgment pours forth. 
We see all of the wickedness and the flagrant blasphemy, the flagrant offense towards an almighty and thrice holy God, and it cannot go on much longer. You say, preacher, it's discouraging how people are. Well, don't let it discourage you. Let it encourage you. Quit looking down at them and start looking up to the Lord because He's coming soon. We see a word about the condition of the church and a word of comfort for the church. But let me say this, and I believe this is true. I mean, right down the line to this body of believers that sits here gathered tonight, we see a word of caution for the church because it's very easy to slip into this form of godliness while denying the power thereof. Let me tell you something. The biggest problem with churches today is that they're dead. That's the biggest problem. You say, but preacher, I thought the... Biggest problem is that they were carnal. Well, they're carnal because they're dead. <laughs> Preacher, I thought the biggest problem was the contemporary movement. No, folks, go to the contemporary movement because old-fashioned churches have died and they're dead. Let me tell you something. Unless the Spirit of God breathe life in what we're doing tonight, it's just nothing but vain religion and dead works. I mean, if God doesn't, we're waiting on Him to give us liberty, but He's waiting on us to give Him liberty. And unless we allow God to move in our midst, and you say, Preacher, nobody... Limit the Lord. Well, the nation of Israel did. They limited the Holy One of Israel. You might be shocked to find out what God wants to do in our midst. You might be shocked to find out what God wants to do in your home. You might be shocked to find out what God wants to do in your heart if you'd only allow Him to. And so there's a word of caution for the church today. Now, what is this caution that He gives? And we listen, we can preach all over this chapter if time would allow us. But I want us to notice verse 5, and I want us to just put a little thought to it for a moment, see if we can't get some help from the Lord. Paul speaks first off of the religion of the shallow. Now, if there's anything we see in the church today, I believe it's shallow Christianity. Somebody say amen to that. We see Christianity that is a mile wide and a quarter inch deep. We have what we call marginal Christianity. Or you know what I like to call it? Now, some of y'all, I know, some of y'all ain't tech savvy, and that's fine. You just, you're better off for it. But those of you that are, can I just call it Facebook Christianity? And I think you'll know what I mean. I'm talking about folks that in, in, in one breath they're posting uh, pictures of themselves half-naked on Facebook, and in the next breath they're sharing things about how much they love Jesus. Now, as the old mule driver said, that just don't G and haul. That just doesn't sound right. You know, there are certain things have a ring of truth to them. And let me say this, that people talk about the grace of God, but the grace of God teacheth us that denying ourselves, uh, we should live righteously and soberly in this present world. Real grace in a person's life will cause them to elevate to a higher and closer and holier walk. And so there's shallow religion in the world today. And Paul described it this way. Now, some of you that have worked construction, it's going to ring with you right away what Paul is saying. He describes them as having a form of godliness. Now, what is a form? Well, if you've ever done any concrete work, and I understand they weren't doing concrete work when the Apostle Paul pinned this down, uh, but the practice of, uh, of uh, molding things and the practice of pouring things to allow them to cure into a hard form is something that is much older than this uh, epistle that lays before us. And what Paul is talking about when he says a form of godliness is something that has the outward presentation of it without the inward substance of it. In other words, let me describe it this way. When you see them and they, pour the, they build the form for a, a concrete pad, on the inside it's got all the right dimensions, but it's hollow and there's no substance to it. 
Now, just keep that in your mind for a few moments while we think about this. Let me say that these folks that had a form of godliness, they had the right perimeters in their life. After all, that's what a form is, isn't it? It's just a bunch of perimeters. It's nothing but a boundary that is set around a thing. And can I say this, that you can have all of the right boundaries and there still be no life in your Christian walk. Let me tell you something. You can know how long is too long for hair. You can know how short is too short for a skirt. You can know how, how tight is too tight for a blouse. You can know how to walk the right way and look the right way and talk the right way. You can know we were talking a little bit this morning about church talk. You know, lots of lost folks, you wouldn't believe this, but they don't know all our church talk. But Christians, you know, after they've lived for a little while, uh, not necessarily living in the will of God, but after they've lived out in the world a little bit, they learn how to talk that church talk. They know when it is they're supposed to amen. They know when it is they're supposed to agree and when it is they're supposed to disagree. They learn all the lingo. They've got all the perimeters down pat. They know the things that offend polite church company. And I've seen, I don't know if you ever have, I don't know if you go to meetings, but uh, when you go to meetings, you can always see some. They amen, they don't even know why they're amening. I mean, there's just, it's like the pastor's got a button somewhere that's attached to a, to a, a shot charge in their seat. And when he says certain words, it don't matter what he's saying, they'll jump up and shout. I've seen them like that. I'm sure you have too. Now, you know, we're not against shouting around here, but I've seen them like that. Pastor, get up and say, bless God, there's people out there dying and going to hell. And they'll say, hey, man. Like that's something to rejoice in. You know why? Just like a parrot that knows how to talk on cue or just like a, a trick animal that knows how to perform when they're beckoned to, they've learned the right perimeters. There's no substance to them. They've just learned how to walk the walk. But let me say that a, a form has the right perimeters, but it has the right presentation. That, that form is nothing but a perfect outline of that shape. In other words, they know how to look the part. Now, don't get me wrong. The form is not a bad thing. Nowhere in this Bible does God condemn the form. Paul doesn't say you ought to get rid of the form. He just says this, there ought to be some substance to your form. You see, part of the problem is this. You have a lot that have gotten sick of the deadness and emptiness that have been in a lot of churches. So you know what they've done? They've thrown away the form instead of filling it up. They've said, let's get rid of the boundaries. Let's get rid of the perimeters. Let's get rid of the standards. But the truth is, they're left with less when they get rid of that than they had in the beginning. The truth is, you don't address it by getting rid of the form. You address it by filling it. And there's lots of folks, I mean, they know how to look right. When I was a youth pastor and we did bus ministry, uh, you know, that kind of shatters you out of the cultural norm. If you've ever worked bus ministry, you can say amen to that. You know what I'm talking about. Because let me tell you something, a lot of them little kids had never walked into a church house before. And a lot of them, the only church that they had walked into was uh, a church where they were just throwing candy and shooting T-shirts. And, hey, I'm not against that, but, but at some point they've got to grow up too, amen? And, and uh, a lot of these kids, you know, they didn't know, how to, they didn't know how to talk the talk. They didn't know how to pretend. And you know what you got? And I love this. You got unbridled honesty. It shocked you some of the things that they'd say but you never wondered where you stood with them. By the same token, a lot of times the adults over in the adult service with the suit and tie on and uh, with their King James Bible and with their hair cut just right and with all the form and function, they, you see, they knew enough to hide their sin, but it didn't mean they didn't have sin. It just meant they were hiding their sin. And they knew how to appear right. 
I mean, they knew how to put the mask on. They knew how to put the smile on. You may be here today wearing your mask. I don't know. I'm not preaching to them. I'm preaching to you. You might be here tonight, and you're wearing the mask. And you're terrified lest anybody find out what occurs and what is occasioned in the darkest corners of your heart. But can I just tell you something? You might as well quit hiding it, because God already knows all about it. He already knows all about it. You can put on the polite church talk. You can wear the mask. You can pretend like you're not a broken individual. You can pretend like you've got it all together. But guess what? God searches the thoughts and intents of the heart. And He knows whether there's anything in there or not. They had the right perimeters and they had the right presentation. But let me say that in this passage we learn they had the right principles down. Uh, you know, that form don't do much if it doesn't hold together. And you don't get a very good form unless it keeps track of even the minutest detail of the thing that it's trying to form. Let me tell you something. I I once heard Leonard Ravenhill say this, that you can have doctrine as straight as a gun barrel and just as hollow. Let let me tell you, you if you walk with the Lord any amount of time, it'll cause you to get in this book, right? It'll cause you to get in this book. But don't think just because you've got a knowledge of this book that that means that this book has got into you. James called it the engrafted word. And let me tell you something. I grew up in Christian school. Now, you've not met rotten kids till you've been around Christian school kids. I mean, they're hard as a coffin nail. Mean, sneaky. And that was me. I grew up in that. Thankful for the grace of God that intervened and didn't allow it to stay fake. Somebody say amen right there. But I saw kids where it was never remedied. I saw kids that they learned the right principles. Man, it's time for sword drill. They dominate. It was time to ask Bible questions and they could rattle them off like it was nothing. But those same kids that knew all the right answers, a lot of them would go out and live in the world and live like the devil and live like hell. And there was nothing real to the things that they knew. There was nothing real to the knowledge that they had. You understand that there is a danger. And in fact, look what it says in our text. Verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's some folks that have the uncanny ability to catalog away scriptural anecdotes and, and trivialities of things in the Word of God, and they have the ability to catalog them. Man, they got a storehouse of them, but the problem is they get the Word of God in their head, but they never get it in their heart. And it creates for a shallow religion. Let me tell you, you fall in love with this book, and it'll change your life. It'll change your life. You really fall... I don't just mean a head knowledge. I mean a real heart knowledge. When I was about 15 years old, there was a pivotal time in my life. And I've shared it with some of you before. A pivotal time in my life when God moved on my heart and I began to go and sit in the preaching of the Word of God and ask this question, Lord, what do you have for me? Not for everyone else. Not what interests me. Not what entertains me. But Lord, what are you speaking to me and to my life personally? Understanding that God knew I was going to be there and God knew what I needed. In that period of my life, I experienced a growth in my Christian walk that has never since even been matched. The truth of the matter is this, when we will allow God to search our hearts, that's the problem. We want to search our hearts. But there's a big difference between us searching our hearts and the Lord searching our hearts. Our little boy, he's, he's got a lot of characteristics of his daddy. I mean, you looking at him, the way he acts, meanness. One of the things he got from me, I, and I see it all the time, my wife fusses at me. She will tell my son, she'll say, Lawrence, go pick that up. And he'll go. 
And she'll go, it's right there. And he'll go. And she'll go, it's right here, Lauren. She'll be right on top of it. And he'll be going, looking around. Finally, she'll go, she'll put her, her finger on his nose. And she'll say, look at my finger. And she'll go like this. And he'll go, oh! Grab it pick it up. See, if it's left up to him to search it out, he won't do much of a job. Let me tell you something. If it's up to you to search it out, you won't do much of a job. I won't do much of a job. But if we'll do like David did, if we'll pray and ask God to search our hearts and ask God to see if there be any wicked or unclean way within us, we'll find that God, He does a lot better job cleaning things up than we ever could. I'm talking about a relationship with this Bible. I'm talking about getting real with it and allowing it to get real with you. Paul condemns them for their religion of shallowness. But he shows us the key and the reason for these things. He says, having a form of godliness, but... He does not say it's wrong to have a form of godliness. He does not say you ought to get rid of your form of godliness. He says you have a form of godliness, and that's fine, and that's okay, but there's something missing. And he says this, denying the power thereof. I thought a lot about that passage. I thought a lot about the impact and the practical import for your life and mine. What does that mean, the power of godliness? Well, I got to doing a little reading. Can I read a verse to you or two? In Romans 8, verse 8, Paul says this, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, you understand what he's saying? He's saying that body is just a hollow shell, but the Spirit is alive within you. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Could I propose to you this evening that the power they were refusing was the working and wooing and molding and shaping and leading power of the Holy Spirit that is to be in the life of the believer. Let me put it this way. This book provides us a shell for how we're to live, but it's the Spirit of God that fills it and allows us to live it. You can learn all the principles. You can learn how to look right. You can learn how to behave right. But you can't be right unless you surrender your life to the leading of the Spirit of God. Don't let that scare you. Now, I know we've let the Pentecostals scare us to talk about the Holy Spirit. But guess what? He's the third part of the tr- person of the Trinity. He's just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. We ought not be scared of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because I've learned this in my short time in ministry, that if it's scriptural, it's spiritual. And if it's spiritual, it's scriptural. The Spirit of God does not do anything apart from the truths of the Word of God. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because Christ said that He would speak and testify of me. He's here to bear witness to the truth of the living Word and the written Word in the life of the believer. And what we find in this passage 
is these people knew how to walk the walk, talk the talk, look the part, but all the while they were refusing the leading of the Holy Spirit in their life. As we look at this, and I, I titled, I didn't even give you a title. Of course, I don't guess you need one. Has it hindered you yet? I hope not. I titled this message, Living in Denial. I think a lot of Christians are living in denial today. I mean, they know how to make it look okay, but in their heart of hearts, they know something is wrong. I want you to listen to me tonight. You let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. Nobody can help you if you won't let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. Are you living in denial tonight? Are you here and you know how... You wouldn't be here on a Sunday night if you didn't have a form of godliness. But are you denying the power thereof? When I think about that word denial, I think of three things, and I'm just going to touch on them and move on. I think of denial as a refusal to acknowledge a fact. In fact, when we speak of living in denial, that's usually what we're speaking of. Whenever the AA meetings take place and they talk about all the things they go through, or grief counseling, they'll talk about all the, the, the things that people go through as they, as they grieve, one of the steps they'll talk about is denial. And what they're saying is this, that those people refuse to acknowledge the reality that is set before them. And they refuse to accept the fact of whatever it is that's grieving them. Could I say this, that a lot of Christians have a form of godliness, but they refuse to acknowledge that surrender to the Holy Spirit is the only way to live godly. It's the only way. It's not just the best way. It's the only way. Dead religion comes from folks trying to live godly on their own. Miserable Christians come from folks trying to live godly on their own. Uh, Empty Christianity, shallow Christianity, it comes from folks that are trying to do this thing on their own. Let me tell you something, it'll be a grand and glorious day in your life when you realize that the the, uh, Christian life is, is much less about striving than it is about surrendering. Our problem is we're trying to keep a bunch of rules. But you and I, we're lawbreakers by nature. That's who and what we are. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a single person, save the Son of God, that has ever touched foot on this earth that is perfect and sinless and is perfect and sinless of their own power and of their own ability and of their own righteousness. Each and every person that has ever lived on this earth is sin-fallen and depraved. That's you, that's me, that's your grandmama, your grandpappy, your sainted mother. Every one of us are sinners. Every one of us. You're a lawbreaker by nature. So what makes you think that you could... Uh, listen, you could, we couldn't even keep the Old Testament law, let alone walk in New Testament grace. You understand that grace was not given for lower living. Grace was given for higher walking. Grace was not given to get us out from under the law. Grace was given so that we could live and love above the law. How could we ever think that we could do that apart from the leading of the Spirit of God? Let me tell you something. It don't take long. I try to do things on my own. I make a mess of things in a hurry. I mean in a hurry. Me and my wife were at the house one day. I had it in my head I wanted an omelet. Some of you men are going to have to testify with me. You ever just get a strange craving for an odd food, and your wife knows it's nonsense, and so she makes you cook it? That ever happened? That didn't happen to me. My wife was going to cook the omelet for me. But the only thing we had to cook it in, it was a wok. Now, how many of you know what a wok is? Okay, wok and roll. We're getting ready to. Now, a wok is basically a big pot, and it has a deep bottom to it. 
Now, I'm used to cooking an omelet in a frying pan, you understand. And I started to put eggs in that wok. And I started looking at it, and the more eggs I put, the omelet didn't seem to grow. You know, you're used to see it blaze out. I put an egg in there, and I put another egg in there. Seven eggs deep, I realized that the problem was the depth of this wok, not the width of it. So we started to cook the omelet. My wife soldiered on. She, she knew it was going to be bad, but she did it anyway. And I had like seven eggs, a, a, a small onion, three peppers, a can of mushrooms. This thing, uh, yeah, brother, I'll cook you one. It was a monster. And my wife, she had to go step away to tend to my son for a moment. And before I could even think, she said, have you got control of it? And I didn't even think. I just said, yeah, you know, yeah. And so she walks away. So I'm standing there staring at this walk. And it's not cooking. Now, you apply heat to eggs, eggs in particular, and they cook quick, man. It don't take long. And I'm watching this thing, and it won't cook. And I look at the oven, and the oven's on high, and it won't cook. And I'm watching it, and I'm watching it. Pretty soon, smoke starts billowing up from the thing. And I'm hollering, honey, 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 the eggs, honey. And she can't hear me, so finally I get some utensils, and I try. And the top side, sure enough, uncooked egg. The bottom side was basically like 35, 65, 10 tread tire on the bottom of it. And, and I mean, hard as a rock, son. I mean, you could have used this thing for a tombstone. Finally got it flipped over and half cooked. Believe it or not, my wife rescued that omelet. I don't know how she did it. You know what happened? A woman left a man in the kitchen to tend things on his own. Now, when she was standing right there, we were doing all right. You know why? Because she, she could say, do this, do that, do this, do that. And I fooled myself into thinking I was a pretty good cook. And so when she left, I said, I can take care of it. I started to handle it on my own. That's a quick, sure way to make a mess of things if you don't have it within you to do it. Now, let me draw this into the spiritual realm. I know that ain't a parable like Jesus ever told, but you'll, you understand, don't you? Drawing it into the spiritual realm, guess what? You might do all right when the Spirit of God is leading you and saying, do this, do that, do this, do that. But son, you start doing it on your own, you'll burn the omelet. You start to live it your own way, you'll find that you're unable. You know why? Despite what Joel Osteen says, despite what every motivational speaker has told you, despite what Oprah said, you don't have it within you. It's not of you. It's not in you. You are incapable, as am I. And it's only the leading of the Spirit of God that can make anything out of our lives. I think it's the refusal to acknowledge a fact. I think also that it is the refusal to accept a person. Oftentimes, if you've ever been a junior high kid, you know what the word denial means. Amen? I remember, uh, that, that's a painful time. Let me tell you something. If you, have, if you see a junior high boy, y'all just tell him you love him and you're praying for him. You don't have to know what they're going through. I guarantee they need it. It's a strange time in a young man's life. And he's beginning to start the pursuit of love. And if he's anything like I was, he's pretty bad at it. Amen? And they learn real quick what denial is. When we speak of denial, sometimes we mean the idea of rejecting a person's influence or affection in our lives. 
And I think often as we live in denial, what we're doing is we're pushing the Holy Spirit out of our lives. I know He'll always be with us. I know He'll never leave us. But I'm also aware of this, that that God is always a gentleman. He doesn't force His will upon anyone. And let me tell you something. If you won't let God lead you, He won't lead you. He won't. Let me say that again. If you won't let God lead you, He won't lead you. One quick way to pull the power of God out of your life is to just tell God no. Just tell Him no. It can be over a big thing or a small thing, but just tell Him no. And you know what He'll do? He'll say, okay, okay. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. If you know me at all, you know that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this, that that fellowship and communion that we have and the power of God in our lives that is the result of the life of Christ lived through us can absolutely be absent from our lives when we tell God no. I think it's the refusing to acknowledge a fact and the refusal to accept a person. But I think sometimes it's the refusal to acquiesce to a request. I'm not going to preach on it. I already preached it. But Sometimes when we speak of denial, we speak of a wish being rejected. We ask for something and we're given a denial. And we're told, no, you cannot have this. I wonder if there's any areas of our life that we've built fences around and told God He doesn't have access to. Can I tell you something? God's not on the bartering system. He's either got all of you or He don't have all of you. It's not enough just for Him to have parts and portions. God paid for it all. Amen? We don't mind singing that when we're talking about our sins, but we don't like singing it when we're talking about ourselves. We don't mind saying Jesus paid it all when we're talking about our sins, but now when we're talking about self, we don't like to think about the fact that Jesus paid it all. But guess what? You're not your own. You're bought with a price just like I am. Sometimes dead religion simply comes from fencing God out of portions of our life, saying, Lord, this area you cannot have. Lord, I'll be at church when I'm able to be at church, but you can't have my job. Lord, I'll read my Bible when I'm able to read my Bible, but you can't have my entertainment. Lord, I'll pray when I'm able to pray, but you cannot have that portion of my life. When we fence God out, you know what we're doing? We're just shooting ourselves in the foot. Let me tell you something. There's nothing in our lives that's good that doesn't come from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. If there's any bad parts in your life, it's not because God made them bad. And if you, there's anything good in your life, it's only because God allowed it. So we ought to allow Him access. Well, how are we to respond to this? And I'm, I'm done. There's three things I think that we ought to do. We ought to refuse it. Paul says this. He says, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such, turn away. Now, that's the antithesis of ecumenicalism. He doesn't say, From such, hug their neck, shake hands with them, try to make them feel welcome. He says, From such, turn away. And we see the resolve of the saints. What do I do with this tonight, preacher? Well, I believe you ought to resolve to turn away from dead religion. I believe you ought to resolve to turn away from dead religion in your public worship. Now, I hope this is really unnecessary to preach tonight. I believe that God meets with us and moves in our midst. But let me say this, that the greatest thing you can ever do for your family is get them under solid Bible preaching and Holy Ghost worship. It's what our young people need what our families need. I'm aware there are complexities to the difficulties of life, but I'm also aware that Jesus is always the answer. 
And I know that many families have been ruined through dead religion. You know where it comes out? It comes out in the kids. You know what happens when the glory departs? We always say, oh, preacher, the glory departed. We're going to just write Ichabod on the door. You know it's a lot worse than that. They didn't write Ichabod on the door. You know what they did? They named that little baby Ichabod. When the Ark of the Covenant, when the presence of God, when the glory of God departs a place, it's not written above the wall on the lintel and on the doorpost, but rather it's written upon the lives and the behavior and the futures of the babies that are in the nursery as they grow up in a deadness that nobody wants and they won't even entertain. I believe we ought to refuse it in our public worship, but I believe we ought to refuse it in our personal walk. I believe we ought to make up our mind that we won't live apart from Christ. Now, can you do that? I believe we ought to make up our minds that we will not live without the presence and power of God upon us. Because let me tell you something. Anything less than an utter determination will not do. There's a phrase that some of my preacher friends like to use when they talk about especially evangelists. You know what they say, particularly about America... They say revival or ruin. And that's about the the story of it, don't you think? It's where our country is at, revival or ruin. We're going to have one or the other. But let me say in your personal Christian walk that the same could be said. It's either revival or ruin. You'll either walk in the joy and power of God with the joy of the Lord as your strength, the Spirit of God as your leading and and directing person, you'll either walk in the power of the Word of God or you'll be miserable and you won't go very long. I believe we ought to turn away. I believe we ought to make up our mind we're done with mediocrity, done with half measures, done with one foot in the world, one foot in the Word of God, and make up our minds we'll take nothing less than God's richest blessings and His greatest power in our lives. And then finally, I think we ought to resolve to turn away from that kind of religion in our pursuit of wisdom. Some of us have decisions to make. Really, all of us do. We make decisions every day. Are you getting the mind of God on those decisions? The mind of God. Not just the precepts of God, the mind of God. God has a will about Him. And we need to make up our mind that whatever we do, It won't just be dead religion and shallow works, but it'll be in response to the express leading of the Spirit of God in our lives. These are the only options in front of us. We're either dead carnal Christians or we're separated, power-filled, Spirit-led Christians. There's no in-between. So the question I have tonight, I don't wonder if you've got a form. Everybody here has got a form. I wonder if you've got the power thereof. And if you don't, don't throw away your form. Instead, fill it with the power thereof as you yield unto the leading of God in your life.